virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a And welcome to For Fox Sake. My name is Pete Selby, and alongside me over the airways, Rob. Um, now, Rob, well, I'll just asked you before we actually started to record. When was the last time we did a podcast? I don't know. It was definitely last year, but um, there's been a few reasons why we haven't done one for a while. Uh, namely, the big mammoth World Cup that I was over for. Now, the plan was to actually do a podcast over there, but it just didn't work out. There was time-wise etc it, it just didn't work out i thought it might be uh be doable but it, it wasn't so that's why there was a huge delay then of course i come back and it's straight into christmas literally four days before christmas and so overall it was like right let's just because of the amount of games being played let's just wait until the new year and then start again so first of all hello rob how are you Happy Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Birthday, whatever you've had in between since we've done these podcasts. You, you tick nearly all of them off. Uh, happy Anniversary was another one that you missed there. But, oh, crap, uh, yes. sorry. Oh, no, that's all right. I, I'll let you off because you turned up to the wedding last year, so at least you remembered one. I was a great wedding. I, I, I was, I'm, I'm a great dancer, aren't I? You are a great dancer, and considering you spent the most of the time solo dancing with a plate full of buffet food, it was, uh, it was some feat. <laughs> Less about the wedding, anyway. Come on, uh, I'll give you ninety seconds to two minutes to tell us how wonderful it was to commentate on a on the entirety of a World Cup, including a World Cup final. Yeah, okay. I mean, it was brilliant. It was unbelievable. Everything. I mean, let's just put to it's it's terrible saying. Let's just put to one side all the reasons why it was there and the fact that it was um, amazingly built and you know the the. the quarter of a trillion pounds and the, the the rights, the work, all that sort of thing. Very, very understandable that that was at the forefront of everyone's mind and some of the things I saw there in terms of workers on kind of building sites there, to, not to do with the World Cup, to do other stuff, you thought, you looked at it and went, wow, you know, really was an eye-opener. So don't get me wrong out there, you know, I'm not just going to stand here and blow smoke up the country and just say it's a wonderful place, it's the best thing since sliced bread and anything. But... From my own point of view, obviously we were working at the grounds, going to the games and everything, but the city itself, honestly, it was unbelievable. In terms of organisation, amazing travel, free metro, buses. There was an Uber driver around every corner, and I ain't being funny, around every corner, and it was very cheap. So access to the, the stadiums and the grounds was fantastic. Having the ability to commentate on 16 games at a World Cup, including... You know, quarterfinals, semi-finals, both of them, the third place playoff, and they'd be there for the final and commentate on the final. Just different gravy, like not even on the same plate. It's not even the same food type. It was just way beyond anything I've ever done. And and we knew it. Don't get me wrong, we knew it. It was just sensational. The fact that the grounds, but the fact that you could see another stadium at the World Cup from another stadium, if you know what I mean, it was unbelievable. It worked. It really did. Now, whether it would work 
with more countries there and whether it would work at a location where actually fans could go to and stay for reasonable priced hotels because there just wasn't any then obviously that's another thing but zero problems zero hiccups zero trouble including away from the stadiums which I think had a lot to do with no beer and don't get me wrong Rob you know me I like a beer that's a big eye-opener that's been a massive eye-opener for me um the football was genuinely amazing uh I was very fortunate to see some of the the big upsets I had the Argentina Saudi Arabia game one day and then the next day I was at Germany Japan so how about that for a double header and then after a couple of days off you come back with a, a an, an early game and you, and you, Cameroon Serbia turns into a 3-3 thriller with that unbelievable scooped finish uh Paborski-esque as I said on common just just mad and then you go to the latter stages managed to go to an England game as a fan got tickets through the FIFA website just as anyone could do there and went there went to a fans park and had a few beers and that beforehand talking to a load of people um met some city fans out there and stuff and and obviously people then a lot of people flew over for that game it was the Senegal game and and essentially they figured out pretty quickly that me and um and Brad is like we knew what we were doing and where the ground was. So talking to a lot of people about that, going to the game as a fan was just amazing. And then the latter stages, you know, you're at the, you know, the 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 top of the pyramid. Really, you, you're there watching a semi final, and the two semi finals were, you know, it turned out to be fairly run of the mill games in terms of getting through in the France game, etc. And and um, but then the final itself, you know, you're at the World Cup final. What do you do? You basically take as much that your phone can handle in terms of photos, in terms of trying to get any merchandise. You get there unbelievably early. We've got, we we did everything that we tried to do. We did everything that we wanted to do. And then you've got the game itself. The easiest thing to do is, is commentate. You'll understand this, Rob. Like, out of all the experiences that we've had in our time doing the stuff that we've been doing and we were kind of laughing beforehand of off to do some Nordic para Nordic skiing in um in Sweden soon, some commentary on that. Um what's a lad from Shepshire doing that? Um out of all these crazy things, the actual time when you're most comfortable in that foreign country, in all that environment for that long, for a whole month, the time when you're actually in a very, very calm place is when the game actually starts, when you're commentating on a game of football that you know what to do. You know the players because you've probably commentated on them for three or four games that World Cup and also they're famous players. Oh, look, number 10 for Argentina, Mr. Messi, heard of him before. It's That was brilliant. And then when the final turns into the game it was, that happened, the game it was, unbelievable. I felt like... I mean, the, the the ground itself, the stadiums were amazing. The state, sensational. The one thing with the stadiums, though, Rob, is that um, they felt like football grounds. There was one or two that were already there, and you could tell that they had running tracks, etc. But they felt like World Cup stadiums. You know, you felt like you're at a World Cup when there's a ground with a running track around it. Um, but the other grounds, the ones that were you know, purpose-built for it, they felt like football stadiums. Lack of um, executive boxes, etc. Just excellent excellent stadiums but the La Salle Stadium the Sale Iconic Stadium for the final I've never been in the ground like that before Rob that was the best ground I've ever been to in my life unbelievable and again we know why we know how it was built etc etc but 
just going towards it and being inside the stadium. And um, and anyway, so when the final basically kicked off, and I'm talking about in the last 10 minutes and then extra time, I felt like at times I was at the King Power. For all the years that we've been doing this podcast, think back to the the 4-3 and 3-2 games in the championship and the cup runs that we've had, promotion, winning the league, um, being awful, getting back up to the, the dizzy heights of the top four or five under Rodgers. Those those crazy games where it goes mad late on and it could be in an early round of the cup against the lower league side. and we, it, it felt like that, yet you're watching the World Cup final and you know at the time, you're like, you know this is the best World Cup final that's ever happened and the entire world is watching and you're there commentating on the game. That was unbelievable. But it felt very homely because I was standing up waving my arms around like I was at the King Power. Got Brad next to me who's nearly crying because it's so good. And like it was just fantastic. And the one thing I'd say about that final, it's not Messi lifting the World Cup. It's... The save from Martin. I've never... That will go down. I think that's possibly the best save that's ever happened in football. I know Gordon Banks... Uh, Banks is saying, you know, that was unbelievable. And it was. And it was at a World Cup against Pele. That is the best save. It really is, isn't it, Banks? Is. But this save... Think about the context. First of all, was it an amazing save? Yes. With his legs, which actually makes it better, I think. And an amazing save in any context of a game. But... In the last second of extra time, and the disappointing thing was, they went down the other end of the field, and Toro Martinez should have scored with that 50p head. He should have been the hero. And if he scores that header, which he should have done, that would have been the best save of all time. But that save, and then down the other end of the field in the missed header, you you don't beat that. You, that was just unbelievable. And then the, the shootout itself and stuff. But, um, yeah, I was ready to come back. Um and yeah, just unbelievable. I don't know what else to say, really. But uh, yeah, just a, a World Cup for the ages. I, I think everyone enjoyed it here in terms of the football. Again, looking at the football side, and you know, we're not going to go into much detail with the rest of the stuff. You can see if you follow us online, and that you you know you get a rough gist of where we're coming from from all that. But um, yeah, I know it's more than two minutes, Rob. But I just had to kind of get that out of the system, really. But uh, yeah, unbelievable. And uh, well whether I'll be at the next World Cup or not I don't know because it's, you know, it's in America they've got English speaking commentators there so um, we'll see but there we go I offered you two minutes you took ten but you know what in, in terms of a Pete Selby monologue that's probably the one that I've enjoyed the most uh, in the ten years that we've been either doing this podcast or working together so uh, I, I'm sure the listeners will feel the same especially those of you that have been with us since the beginning uh, unfortunately Pete you came back you had Christmas and now we're back down to earth with um with a bit of a bump, uh, with uh, I'm kind of glad we're doing this after the Gillingham game. We're recording Sunday afternoon, the 8th of January, the day after Leicester absolutely sailed through the FA Cup third round against Gillingham. Um, but we are on a pretty disastrous run of form in, in terms of Premier League. Either side of the World Cup, we're looking uh, at the worst kind of home run in terms of th- three defeats in a row without scoring a goal for the first time since the 80s. Um, since the first time, but since before you and I started following Leicester, so in terms of that, it's it's not looking fantastic. But we dragged our way through a game against Gillingham yesterday. Um, it's a shame, really, because I think before pre World Cup, obviously we had a couple of uh, 
dodgy results, but we, we, we were starting to put together a, something like a, a bit of consistency and something like a bit of confidence. So in, from a Leicester point, from a Pete Selby point of view, the World Cup was fantastic. From from um, an England fan's point of view, you know, so-so, quarterfinals as usual. We, we get used to it, we move on. But from a Leicester City point of view, it, it could have done with coming later on, couldn't it? Because I, I think we've kind of hit the reset button and gone back to the team that we were uh, earlier on in the season, which is far from ideal. Yeah, I'm just looking here. I've got the the fixtures and the results up on the screen on my phone, just just to you know jog my memory. And when we came back, the first day I was back fully, we played MK Dons. So here I am in Milton Keynes, and um, I didn't go to the game because I think I wouldn't have survived um, saying, "Look, I've been away for a month. Let's how do you fancy going to <laughs> to watch Leicester play Milton Keynes on the first day I'm back? Would I have survived? No." No, shaking her head. So, like, um, and 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 we played very well. It was a comfortable win, and I think everyone you expected to beat Milton Keynes in the stadium that they play in, etc. The conditions all fine, and Leicester won three 0 Very comfortable, competent win in front of a huge away following. Um, I would have had sit in the home end really because you want to, you can't get it. I can't believe you couldn't get in the way ticket really, and um, and then. After that game, I was just like, well, there we go. Of course Leicester are going to be fine after the World Cup because they didn't have many players at the World Cup. Those who played didn't stay that long uh, in terms of the Belgium lot because some of them didn't even play, like Volt Vaz, for example. So, like, if he's not playing, then that's fine. And Yuri Tillemans did, but then they got knocked out really early. They were they were they still in the place out, didn't they, Belgium? But So, overall... It shouldn't have been a big hurdle than it was for some of the other sides. And then you come back and play MK Dons, you play very well, you win 3-0, and you think, right, we're up to speed. And then the Premier League kicks in, and you play three games in the Premier League, and you lose all three. That I did not expect. I think a lot of fans didn't expect that at all. And also, I don't think they expected the downturn in form. You can lose, and I say this often, you can lose any game of football and play well. You can play very well and lose. I mean, the Liverpool game, for example. And if it's not your day, it's not your day, whatever. And as long as everything's behind the scenes and the players are there and, you know, we move on as a football club and a fan base and you accept defeats, you know. There's some some clubs and some fan bases, they just can't accept uh, their club not winning things or doing well. Look what happened in the last four or five days. Two clubs have sent letters to their owners regarding the direction of the football club and the way it's moving. And I think one of them is acceptable and one of them is terrible. The two clubs are Everton and Tottenham. The Everton supporters, what, 17 different supporters groups and podcasts, so if that was Leicester, it would include us, have basically signed the letter. I thought it was quite a nice letter, actually. I read it and went. it went to the owner saying, look, it's not Frank out, it's not... Um, it's it's basically we want the people in charge of the football club, not him, and not spend more money because they spent a lot of money. They just want competence. Look at all the wastage they've got there, and they're not moving forward. They're they're worried about the way the club is going. And I thought that was actually quite. You you read that they've signed this letter, and you think, oh, hang on, that's a bit funny. But I read it, and I was like, actually, it seemed okay. Two days later, Tottenham fans do the same. Check yourself out. What's that about? What is that about? Oh, a new billion-pound stadium, 200 million on players, really good manager, 
Uh, Harry Kane is still playing for them and they're your fifth in the table and you're in the uh, knockout stages of Champions League and you're worried about the direction the club's going in that stadium and that money they've got. The club's on a really good level. Uh, that was just crazy. That's Because cr- they haven't won anything for a long time. That's different. That's what happens on the field. That's the rub of the green. That's the inside of a post going in, the outside of the post going wide. That's different. Like At Leicester... Do we have the same concerns? So are we an Everton or are we a Tottenham? I don't think we're either. I think we're somewhere in the middle. There are legitimate concerns about players being brought and the quality of signings that we've had over the last few years. There's legitimate concern about activity in the transfer window. And that's not just from supporters. That's obviously from the manager. And that was has to be the reason there was a massive massive New Year's Eve-style hangover at the start of the season. It has to be. Now, will that happen in January? It can't, first of all. It cannot happen. We need a freshening up of the squad. We need to sign players. We need to get rid of players as well who are on big wages. Whether that happens or not, God knows, but that needs to happen. So I'm not overly, overly concerned at the moment because, again, we're not an Everton. The club's on an even footing. It's fine. People are worried about sometimes with the money and does the King Power have the owner? Are they? No, that I wouldn't be worried at all with the redevelopment of the ground whatsoever. That 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 sort of thing that shows that King Power are here to stay. So I wouldn't be concerned about that. But you lose three games on the bounce in the Premier League. That has to be a concern because the Premier League is a very, very tight division. You get smashed by Newcastle at home. Let's get it right. We were absolutely taken apart by a team who are absolutely flying. Perform very well at Liverpool and go down to two freak own goals in a way. A lot of own goals aren't freak. They're a deflection or unlucky. These two were, I I think both are very, very poor for me. We'll come on to them in more detail. And then you lose against Fulham, when in the second half, I'm not entirely sure how Leicester didn't score, to be perfectly honest. And so you sit here right now talking to you, Rob, after all that, and you go, are Leicester going in the wrong direction? At the moment, I think we're just floating at the moment. Which way are we going to go? I think we need some new people on board to try and bail out some of the water, because if not, I'm worried we might sink. Yeah, the Everton and the Tottenham examples are, are good ones, really, and and I I would agree with you that that we'd pitch Leicester somewhere in the middle. I, I'm not at the point where um, where I'm expecting somebody to write a letter and ask if if we'll put our names on it, whether they would ask us or not, whether anybody cares what we think. I don't know, but um, it's it's not dire. But I think what the what the concern is a little bit, and and the reason that there's been. Uh, more negativity at the games in terms of the atmosphere is from the fact that most of us are in the dark. You know, previously, we, we it's been very clear through whatever's happened in the transfer window, through um, constant reassurance from the ownership, through com- the, the communication that they have established with the fans. You know, that relationship seems a little bit more strained than... Probably the most strained that it has been since the family took over, and and I think that stems from the fact that we're sitting here wondering what the strategy is, what the what the mid to long term strategy for the club is, 
and I think the reason that those doubts creep in is because on the pitch it doesn't look as good as it has done in the past, well, pretty much the entirety of their ownership, um, give or take a few a few wobbles here and there. So, you know, if, if you're winning games on the on the football pitch, if, if Leicester are comfortably sitting top half, uh, pushing towards the, the European places, uh, players are in form, the atmosphere at the ground is, is automatically uh, more enjoyable. The fans are automatically more on board with the the club in terms of the playing side, the manager, but also the club as a whole in terms of the business um, and, and the strategy. But I think because the the run of form before the World Cup uh, didn't last that long, that's the World Cup's fault, it's n- nothing else, and that we've come back and hit three straight defeats means that those questions are, are, are back on on the minds and on the lips of of the of of us the supporters really uh, a mate of mine came up um yesterday we went for a few pints and and we were talking about about the club really we watched the Gillingham game together uh, that's 90 minutes we'll never get back um <laughs> but we we were the main thing was and it wasn't total concern but it was it was just questions and you feel like they only get answered when the questions get more and more, uh, get louder to the point where the forums are, are proper pinging with messages like that, uh, with threads of conversations like that. And, and there's a bit of an outcry of frustration from the supporters at the games, which is then further perpetuated by the fact that the home form in particular um post and pre-World Cup hasn't been great and it just kind of creates an atmosphere that we're not necessarily used to feeling um, between the fans and and the club and yes going on a run of form does sort of patch that up a little bit but what I think I as a fan and I think uh, lots of people listening would share the same opinion is you just want to know a little bit more we've we've had one statement about um, the transfer strategy needing to rely on selling players and where the money from Fafana went and financial fair play and all that. And I think we understand that to an extent, but you've got to look at why... Uh, let's take a couple of specifics. Someone like Soyun Chu, earning a fair amount of money. Um, yes, he's been in and out of form. Can't get a start uh, ahead of Daniel Amati, who is... You know, we, we've we said plenty about him before. Cult hero fills in when necessary, but he can't be starting every single Premier League game. Soon Chu sat on the bench. Rodgers clearly doesn't favour him. Then makes some very interesting excuse about a couple of injuries, not enabling him to be at his level. But he's been in the match day squad and in full training for months, including... Overweight. Overweight and unfit, I think, yeah. was kind of referred to. I mean... yeah. That, but, not me. But, that's so you? No, but that's so. So we've got that, and then the next thing you know is being linked with Atletico Madrid, and you're thinking, all right, if Rogers doesn't fancy him anymore, he's out of contract. Let's try and sell him in January uh, and use some of that to reinvest. Next thing you know, it looks like he's being offered a new contract, or there's one potentially being talked about on the table. And as a as a fan sitting from the outside in, I don't know anything about football um, business really. Uh, we don't, uh, we've said thousands of times on this podcast, we don't have anybody inside the club. We don't know any more than you listening. But it just looks a bit weird how he can't get in the team. 
he doesn't. Is it the fact that he's not interested? Uh, is that why his form's dipped? Why doesn't Rogers like him? And then all of a sudden, Atletico Madrid are interested. And then all of a sudden, we're talking about offering soon to another contract. The problem with that would be if you offer soon to another contract, he's going to want another decent wage. Yes, it would increase his value a little bit, but then it makes him more difficult to get rid of. And if Rogers still doesn't like him, you've got another dead weight in the squad. And that is a big issue at the moment because the the sort of makeup of the squad is not what it should be. One last thing on the squad before I um, stop my little mini rant. Rogers saying we've got a small squad. We have not got a small squad. We have registered the full quota of 25 players. Not very many Premier League teams decided to do that or could do that for whatever reason. We've not got a small squad. We've got a small number of players that he trusts and the rest of them are just being carried and are taking pay packets and are getting increasingly difficult to shovel out. Yeah, when he said we've got a small squad, my first thought was that sounds bad. But also, I kind of looked at it and goes, what does he mean? And I just think he might have meant the fact that there's about 10 players injured. So there's a small squad to choose from at the moment. Now, is that me being mega kind to him? Probably, because I'm a kind person. But it was it was poorly worded from a guy who shouldn't really be saying those things because it's, again fairly obvious from the fact that there was 25 people picked in the squad as you said at the start of the season um I'm a big believer in the wage bill I've said quite a few times it's not really regarding have we got the money to spend on transfer fees it's the wages so the Soyuncu factor one of the big earners at the football club Perez one of the big earners at the football club Vestergaard the same uh, Bertrand those sort of players if they go if they're not going to play they need to go and also when it came to Rogers and us saying that you know it was about time that he moved on at the point of we thought it was pretty much crisis going into that Forest game really and it would have been obviously if they lost. Um, it wasn't regarding say Rogers and his his management. It it was regarding the ability to use the squad that he's got, the fact that he's been there for a number of years and he's developed relationship with players and also developed a negative relationship with players. I've always said I believe that Rodgers doesn't like Kelechi Inacho as a footballer. Um, as a person, he always says really nice things about him and that, you know, overly nice things. Maybe that's covering the fact that he doesn't like him and he just doesn't fit his style. I think he likes him as a bloke but not as a footballer. He, when he was on that real purple patch for half a season... He had to play and he just had to keep him in the side. And it was almost, if you think back, what we were saying at the time on the podcast, we were kind of saying the reason Kaleshi is playing is because he's scoring goals. If he goes a game without scoring, I can see him being on the bench. And that's always going to be the case with him. There's other players, Soyuncu being arguably the number one, really. Uh, And that's a player who was alongside... Um, Evans and uh, such a great partnership uh, those two were just fantastic for that what season and a half say and yes the form of Soyuncu well fell off a cliff didn't it but to not then bring him back into the fold in the best part of two seasons let's say is a lot that's that's a huge amount of time that's not giving someone a few weeks off or maybe waiting for a pre-season. That's something really embedded. And for them, him to, for him then to play against Gillingham, I know it's Gillingham and he's more than good enough to play against them, but I was surprised to see him in the starting lineup, uh, especially after him looking like he was basically hugging everyone 
after the game against Fulham to say, cheerio, I'm off. No surprise to see someone like Atletico Madrid in for him. Um, it, it, I, I just, I, I fail to see that Soyuncu is not playing um, for any other reason apart from, again, the relationship with the manager. Now, he is the manager of the football club, so he's perfectly entitled to do that. And you, you'd have to trust him. That's But over time, these things happen. And if you don't ship these players out, they can become dead wood on the wage bill and they can become dead wood in the squad because they're not going to play and they're taking up a position in the squad. And also that they can cause problems in the squad as well. I don't think that's the case at all. By all accounts, the, the, you know, the, the harmony in the squad is absolutely fine. And I think players like, well, number one would be Jamie Vardy now. The fact that Vardy's still there and on good terms with the manager, if that breaks down, that's the end of the squad and the end of the manager because of the power that Vardy would have. Um, same would have been with, say, Schmeichel. So that's a problem. Big believer in the need to get the players off the wage bill for them players to come in. I That's, that's what I believe. So if you get rid of two or three players who are on 80 grand plus, then a £20 million signing can come in. I think it's that simple. I don't think the transfer fee is the problem. I think it's the wages. Um, the way that the league is at the moment, and I know we should be looking at Leicester, but we're in 13th place and we're two points away from the relegation zone. You look at the other sides and what can they do in this January transfer window? and What do they have in their current squad to to place Leicester further down the league by their own form, not necessarily against Leicester, but in their own performances and moving up the league. You know, and and, and, and the listeners know that I, I do a lot of work for Southampton. First of all, Miroslav Orsic signing for Southampton for £8 million, exactly the sort of player Leicester should be signing. An experienced international player, scored that fantastic curling goal in the third and fourth place playoff game in the World Cup. Uh, and he's signing for a, not a lot of money, and using giving a two-year contract, and I looked at that sign and went, "That's exactly who we could do with." I was bringing up a bit of a list, in fact, of um, players Leicester could sign, uh, which we'll go th- we could go through in a bit as well if I try and remember who they are. Um, and they've got some talented players. They need more players to get out of the run of form that they're in and to string a few wins together. They have it. I don't know whether they will or not. Wolves. Julian Lopetegui, the manager now, surely they're going to sign some players and move up the league. Everton, no idea. They just can't score goals. They're, I think they're really in trouble. You'd imagine West Ham will spend in this transfer window or possibly change their manager and then back a new guy. Um, but again, you'd imagine that the Hammers, if they do sign some players, should be okay. I know they're right down there at the moment. Bournemouth and Forest are just two basket cases. You don't know with Bournemouth. They go and lose the next six or seven games on the bounce. It wouldn't be a surprise. Forest are playing okay. They've got the players, haven't they? You know, and we know we're playing Forest soon, but they they have the players to do well and they'll pick up wins. Uh, but whether they'll have enough or not, I don't know. But at the moment, who knows? And again, with Leeds, they they can they can they score goals, but they can see loads. And I don't think anyone else is concerned in the league. I don't think anyone else will, will, will get dragged down, obviously, then you, you away from Leicester. So you're looking at that, and I'm like, well, who's the dead weight? Are Southampton a dead weight? I don't think they are. I think they're banging trouble, but I don't think they're a dead weight. Bournemouth, a point off the relegation zone, but they're not. They're a competent outfit. Forest, more than shown that they're a competent outfit on the day. There isn't any dead weight in this league, and that's got to be a huge concern for Leicester because... If there's one side in this league, or na- name a couple of sides 
who can lose six on the bounce, seven on the bounce. You'll say Bournemouth, just because of the players that they've got. Okay, you can still play well, but you'd say possibly that's a side who could do that. Forest, you'd have to throw Forest into that, just because, again, of the level of the players, but I don't think it would be the case. But still, they could go on a huge losing streak. Name the other club who could do that. Southampton, I know they've been in real poor form and they have had a massive losing streak. It would be Leicester for me. It has to be Leicester because they've shown this season they can collapse at a click of a finger. And that's the worrying thing. They'll always pick up points, but you can they've lost three on the bounce, Rob. Like I'm I'm concerned unless they sign some players. Now, who are they gonna sign? Who do they need to sign? I, I, I think they need to do it now. They they can't wait for the summer. They can't wait to release Perez. They can't wait for Soyun Chu in the summer to go. They need to go now because they need to get them off the wage bill and they need to bring players in. Who? We've been linked with the uh, the Moroccan midfielder. You know, he was, who's, I, I saw a couple of Moroccan games. Um, excellent player. You know, never heard of him before, as I think pretty much everyone has because he, he plays um, in France. Um, very, very thin. Uh, gets across the ground very quickly. He's one of those who glides. You know, he, he looks like he's quick, but he, he he's not running at full pace. He glides across the field. Um, he looks like a proper box-to-box midfielder. Very slight. Uh, a good eye for a pass. Doesn't score many in his career, but it looks like that is part of the game that he has. But I would say in that World Cup, the Moroccan right side was borderline unstoppable. Hakimi at right back, uh, Ziyech ahead of them, and then they were joining in. There were quick one-twos all the way, real quick passing. The way that when Tielemans came into the side, all of a sudden he was that player who could just lay the ball off and a quick one-two. And he thought, hang on, this is just a step above what we've already got. That's what this guy's like. He he, he seems to have that in his locker. Um he obviously um, benefited from having one of the best defensive midfielders and one of the players of the tournament, uh, Amrabat, the, the defensive midfielder number four for for, um, for Morocco, was sensational, just unbelievable. Uh, what a signing he would be for Leicester. My, it's unbelievable. And he gave a real cushion for him to go forward and to just freely run around the field. Um, so he would be an excellent signing. I know it's dangerous to sign a player on the back of a World Cup performance, but he looks like he's got an awful lot in his locker. And if you look at his past, he's a bit like Yuri Tillemans, was highly, highly touted. And it hasn't quite clicked for him at club level. But on the back of what's happened at the World Cup, who knows? And I think it would be a, a good signing, obviously, for the price. Then then that's what that's what's needed. Um, the links are with the, the, the left-back from... Copenhagen. I mean, it's essentially we buy anyone who's decent at Copenhagen. Um, yeah, whatever. You know, if he turns into a decent player, fine. I don't think it'll cost a, a lot of money. They can still do with a centre half, especially if Soyuncu goes. We know a right winger and a centre forward. Um, it was nice to see Dakar back playing because that looked a bit worrying when he went off at, uh, at Liverpool. I thought that might be him, him out for a while. Was it Liverpool he was injured? So, overall, there, yeah, they're my worries for the club, but. Yeah, that they're the sort of players that we need. I, I'd like to see. I like the room to sign this uh, Moroccan midfielder, but uh, we'll have to wait and see. Problem with signing a player post World Cup is the fact that we know about him, so everybody else knows about him. So 
instantly there's more of a battle on your hands there. You know, if, if Leicester had done what Leicester have done in the past, um, plucked a player from mid-table obscurity in, in the French League like him, then, you know, it would have been a, a proper sort of Steve Walsh signing, wouldn't it, under, you know, uh, Pearson and Ranieri and co when he plucked Kante and Mares and that kind of style of player. Um, you're exactly right in terms of the type of midfielder that he, that he is because... This is the thing with uh, with Rogers is the fact that he want he insists on playing four three three. Gillingham game aside yesterday with a which was more of a sort of three four three if you like, but the midfield are not progressive enough. And and my issue with the with that Moroccan fellow would be is he physical enough for the Premier League because the intensity and the 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 sort of strength and physicality you need in the centre of the park is he looked like Mares. He had the build of Mares. Yeah, and, and Mares struggled with that, didn't he? Well, I was talking about Riyad Mares the other day, and um, was it Blackpool at home in the Championship? He came off the bench, or he start. I think he came off the bench for knockouts. So you got the best player at the club and the fans' favourite comes off, and then he comes on and scores, and you're like, okay, he's better than the best player at the club in his position, etc. You know, I think it was Blackpool. That could be wrong. It was somewhat similar, but. He came on, and it's almost like you could see through him. It was that thin. And this guy, yeah, he's very, very spindly, very, very, very slight. And for a centre midfielder, I know it's a different game now, and I might be slightly a bit old-fashioned in my kind of thinking of a number eight, and he's not quite Steven Gerrard. But there is a real talent there. There's a there, there's a, a proper a proper player in, in, in him. Um, and again, I, I can't... I mean, everyone saw the World Cup and everyone saw what Morocco did. And I still stand on the fact that Morocco went as far as they did on the back of about five or six players They were who, who played unbelievably well, especially on the right side. And this guy was at the centre of everything. So, yeah, there's a, there was a real player there. There is. But my issue with, with that is um, the same issue that I think a lot of people have with Yuri Tiedemann's and the same issue that uh, Rodgers has had with him in the last couple of games. And the fact that the game he didn't start, I can't remember which of the three it was in the Premier League, but it was because, and Rogers said this afterwards, is because he wanted um, sort of more physicality and, and sort of power in the centre of midfield. Uh, and Tillemans looks like he's running through a treacle sometimes. Um, he's not got the pace to be that box-to-box midfielder. He is, without doubt, our best passing central midfielder. No question about that. And you take him out of the team and you, you do lose that element. Um especially with, with Madison being unavailable at the moment in terms of somebody to make a forward pass. We don't have anybody. Uh, I've got an issue with Sumari because, you know, we're talking about lacking physicality. He's got all of that. He's got the ball-playing ability. And I, and I think I've said this on the podcast before. He just has not got the speed of thought to play in the Premier League, in my opinion. And I don't know how many more games he's going to play in a Leicester shirt before you say, look, mate, if you can't switch on in the middle of the park for, for Leicester, then you, you're going to have to move on because he's a big Are, are we at the what? stage now, Rob? Sorry to interrupt. Are we, are, are we at the stage? I mean, it's a new year. I, I I think we need to be a bit more kind of yes or no with, with some of these players. And I will give every player a second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chance. And they could still, you know, they could still play well for Leicester after saying that they're rubbish and... and I generally have got to the stage with Samari going, I don't think he's going to make it. 
I just don't think he's going to make it. Yeah, if it's if it's us making yes or no decisions, it's it's a no. If it, if he's playing like that on FIFA or Football Manager for me, he gets sold in the transfer window. There's no absolutely no question about that. Do you think he'll make it? No. How much how much more time do you give him? I tell you what, and, and this might be a slightly more unpopular opinion, but I don't particularly think Pats and Dak is going to make it either, because especially not in this team, because um, and the and the style of play, you know, if you got a different manager in, he he might have a different sort of uh, lease of life, really, because Rogers is insisting on playing one striker, uh, which doesn't suit Ianacho. We know that it doesn't suit Vardy or Dakar in the style of play that they are playing. I think Vardy and Dakar could play as lone strikers in a system that encourages them to be on the shoulder of the last defender and to make some sort of runs in behind, which has been Vardy's go-to. He does it better than anybody else in the Premier League, largely, over the last few years. Um, well, certainly since sort of the title winning season, etc., Dakar's exactly the same. He's lightning quick and he's an instinctive finisher. So why are we insisting on playing 10-yard passes into his feet when he's got a six-foot-three Premier League centre-back up his backside? His touch isn't good enough. He is absolutely nowhere near physically strong enough to do that. And it it doesn't play to any of his strengths. The problem is, whether they I don't know if they've been told to or not, but nobody or very few players can or will put a ball in behind for Dakar or Vardy to chase. Dakar and Vardy are, are asked, I'm, I'm certain they must be, because uh, it, for both of them it would be a natural thing otherwise. They don't seem to run the channels anymore. And if you're playing three in midfield and you're playing what you could essentially call inverted wingers in the sense that Barnes is always going to come inside off the left... Um, whoever's been playing right-hand side, none of which are right-wingers like Pratt or Madison or Perez, they're naturally going to wander inside because they're not going to beat a man on the outside. That leaves a lot of room for Avardi or Adaka to be in the channel, get the defenders turned around, get yourself 60, 70 yards further up the pitch and, and, and see what you can get from that. It doesn't always have to be a precise 5, 10 yards intricate passing tip-tap, tip-tap, goal. Looks amazing when it happens. But Leicester are only capable of playing that kind of football effectively when they've got a couple of wins under their belt. You put them in a situation that they're in now with three defeats in the Premier League in a row and even against Gillingham yesterday, they don't, they're not instinctive or confident enough at the moment to pop those passes around on the edge of the penalty area and slip one through. Um, yes, there were there were chances against Fulham and, and chances against Liverpool, but play to Vardy and Dakar's strengths. Otherwise, they are virtually useless. Vardy hardly touched the ball against Gillingham, save for a ball that was put in behind by Albrighton, who is probably one of the best at the club at the early ball. Um, and, and that's what he thrived off. He never had a single sniff after that. If Dakar's not going to make it in this system, that I, I'm more confident of that than I am of Samari. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are, Pete, but it, it's a lot of money to spend on a striker that you're not going to feed in the way that he scored all of those goals um, in Austria. I mean, we've been doing this podcast now for eight, nine, nine years, nine years or something, and like I was uh, 
And I was telling Kim earlier about, about you, Rob, about just explaining who you are and how we've known each other and how long we've done the podcast. I think you could clip up that last five minutes of you there talking. And if I had to say, if I had to produce a, a piece to send to anyone and saying, oh, this is what For Fox Sake is about, and, you know, that probably would be the five minutes because I agreed with, A, everything you said, and it was exactly the problems that Leicester have got. You know, that was that was it in a complete nutshell. Now, I think DACA can make it, but you've just hit the nail completely on the head there, Rob, about it's the system that they play is not advantageous to any of the players' strengths. And how or why, no idea. You go back to the World Cup and you look at, I know it's Lionel Messi. What did Argentina do with Lionel Messi? He's the best player in the world. You put him right in number 10. What hasn't he got anymore? And that's legs. What he'll do, he'll walk around and then all of a sudden use all his his, his energy and the pace he's got for those bursts of magic. Like when he skinned, um, who was the Croatian uh, defender? Um, and then he got, he got to the byline, pulled it back. and An amazing, an amazing dribble, just like of old. And then he'll go quiet for five or ten minutes because he's a 35-year-old player, you know. And what they did, they they put legs around him. Julian Alvarez up front. And McAllister in the side. Again, legs either side of Messi to do that work. So he can then do... Like, Leicester, over the years, have had the strength of Vardy up front. And we've played to his strengths because those strengths are borderline undefendable against... It's, it, it really was, wasn't it? Or you, you go back to what Drinkwater used to do, etc., and then you had Mares in the side. Get the ball to Mares. Do you want him tracking back? No. So you stick the defender and say behind him and say, "Don't go over the halfway line, Danny Simpson." Okay, fine. Because Mares, you play to your strengths, and Leicester at the moment are not playing to your strengths. I call it, and when I go on other podcasts and that talk about Leicester, when I'm invited to, I call it the Harvey Barnes factor. The way that this side is set up is purely because we've got Harvey Barnes in the side, and if he's firing, he's an excellent Premier League midfield uh, midfield slash forward. Excellent. And the side purrs and ticks. When he's not playing well, it exposes all the flaws in the side because the side is set up because of Barnes in the side. If it wasn't for Barnes, they would be able to play two up front, etc, etc. And the side would then be more, A, adaptable, but also it will play to the strengths of other players. Uh, namely two, Kelechi Nacho and Patson Daka. And also a now 36-year-old, is it soon to be 37, Jamie Vardy? Um, I think his birthday's in January, quite early in the year, I think. But anyway, I think he needs another partner now. Unless, it, can he play up front in a forward three? Yes, he can. He can do that. Um, and he can still do that. But you need the two players either side to be very pinpoint with their crosses now because he, he won't, he'll always have the movement, but he won't have that bit of pace that is naturally going to go. Um well, first of all, we haven't got one on the right. Madison can play there and, of course, has played very well. And the side without Madison at the moment looks very devoid of any creativity. But on the other side, Barnes, he's not having a good season. Flash in the pan, every now and again, he'll turn it on. And when he turns it on, he, he's so good, isn't he? You know, And everyone loves Harvey Barnes. He needs to be meaner. Someone needs to wind him up. Someone do something. Like... The, the opposition fans need to start singing songs about Harvey Barnes 
and maybe about his private life. Like, do something like that. Wind him up. Get him angry. Because if he's angry, I think he'll be an awful lot better player. <laughs> At the moment, he's he seems a lovely lad. I have no idea. I've never met him. But he seems a very affable person who's a very good footballer. But he needs to he needs a bit of Vardy inside him on the field. I think he needs that anger. But the problem is, what happens with those centre-forwards? And, and I, I think Daka can make it. I, I think he's such a good finisher. He's so sharp. He's going to be... I don't think he'll ever be the best control of a football, back to goal, etc. I think that will just never be the case. But he's so lively in the penalty area and he has that finishing ability. We've seen players over the years at Leicester who have been quick. Um, athletes rather than footballers is a term that has been banded around between me and you. I think I've, I've said that on the podcast a number of times. And you can you can name a lot of players DJ Campbell, um, you know, you could almost say, and I hate to say this because what a player he was and what a great, and he should have been a Premier League player. Lloyd Dyer should have been a Premier League player. There's a player who he, he could have been a 400-meter runner, really. You know, you could see him um, being, an, being an athlete. like. But I, I don't think Dak is that, I don't think that's the case with him. He is a, I think he's a top player. He needs someone up front with him. Ideally, someone a bit physical. Who do we have in the side or in the squad who can play up front with another person, who can drop deep, who can score from out of the blue, who can link play and is actually a better link player than I think a lot of people give him credit for? And that's Kelechi Inacho. I, I just fail to understand how he's not being given more time and also how he's not playing in the side alongside two centre-forwards, one who desperately needs a partner in Dakar, and then the other guy who has never really had that kind of partner because he's been so bloody good, he's the best player that's ever ever played for the Foxes, but now he's turning 37, he needs someone alongside him. And that's just stubbornness from the manager. And there's only a couple of ways for that to change. And that's for someone not to be playing, so Barnes may be injured, and he's being forced into playing, and he's being forced into playing Kelechi Inacho because he scores every single game, which is great because that means we'll be doing well. And that's what happened a couple of seasons ago. He was forced to play him because of his scoring record. He didn't want to. I'm absolutely certain of that. He goes and scores 10 goals in seven games. And he's sitting there going, I don't want to play him, but I've got to because it'd be ridiculous not to. And then the other way of him playing is by Rogers not being the manager. And I think that had a lot to do with it. And then, of course, that's the forward line we're talking about. You can go back further in the side and change the formation and bring Soyuncu in, etc. And uh, will it change? I don't think so. Unless something maybe happens in the transfer window. But it's um, it's quite frankly amazing, Rob, because I'm saying this right now. And I know the listeners are, are thinking, I've heard this before about a thousand times. How are we having this conversation at the start of 2023? This is the conversation from 2019. Yeah, four years on, same record over and over again. Sorry to those of you that are listening that we're dra- dragging this back up. But it is it is almost disbelief, isn't it? That yes, you're, you're limited with the injuries that we've got. Uh, I appreciate it's probably easier to put two players up front if you play uh, wing backs. And Rodgers is not prepared to do that in the Premier League at the moment because he hasn't got three centre-backs he can trust. And we've got 
uh, Ricardo Pereira and James Justin out injured, which does limit but your options. But we do, Rob. I know we've got limited options, but, you know, like you said, he's he's constantly trying to fit players into his preferred system where where it just doesn't click for all of them. Uh, Dennis Pratt must have must have been fuming to miss out on the Belgium squad for the World Cup because nobody he's never been used in uh, at Leicester um, in in the right place. He's never been given a run of games. And then Rogers is like, "Oh, go on, go and play on the right wing for us, Dennis." It's the kind of thing that happens when you turn up on a Sunday morning and 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 you're like, "Oh, the right wing has not turned up today." Um, you, I know, I know you're a centre midfielder. I know you're a ball playing centre midfielder. We just do as a job on the right hand side for this morning only, and here we are, years and years later. Still, there's still players just doing jobs that they're not best fitted for. It's it's remarkable. And you mentioned there about three at the back and then having wing backs, or maybe even two at the back and having the fullbacks push on loads and having a couple of sitting midfielders to to cover. It's the the problem is you look at the squad. We have the players, and again this goes back to Rogers maybe not being the manager best we know what they've done in the past we know Vestergaard's been a, a, a disaster really um, and we know some of the other players are out of favour so injury etc but if we were going to play three at the back even with the problems we've got with injuries we have those players Vestergaard can play in the middle Vass one side maybe having uh, Volk Vass alongside Vestergaard would calm him down, have a, a, an influence like he's had on Amati, really. And, and it has been a very positive effect, even though he still shouldn't really be a first-team centre-half. So maybe those three could be a back line. Do we have the win-backs? We know Thomas on one side is still quite weak, etc. But Castagna could easily play as, as a win-back. You know, or Brighton would be very suited to that role. I know I don't quite like him in that role, but still. And then the midfield would sort itself out with the the three in midfield easily with Dewsby Hall, Tielemans and Madison. But if Madison's not there, you could play Dennis Pratt or Samare. Dennis Pratt would easily be in that midfield three. That three would be actually very good uh, on paper. And then you've got the two forwards, which of course you've got three centre forwards and it's two from three. And of course, Vardy would probably be replaced at one point. So that would naturally be fantastic. All three would play in the game and it just depends on which two would start etc according to who we're playing against and who's in form that just seems a very very sensible way of playing if you wanted then to slightly change things up you could bring on a Harvey Barnes or if you wanted maybe has Harvey Barnes ever played wing I don't I don't know so like there are these options now a lot of people will be saying we should be playing 3-5-2. A lot of people are saying, well, we should be playing 4-4-2. You know, you can say any formation and pick any 11 that you want. But when you're going through a period of poor form, and I'm talking the entire season, I know we had that string of of results, um, but surely things need to change. Surely you can't just go and try the same thing over and over again, hoping for it to click. It's It, it seems very, very strange. And then you look into the future and you go, well, is it the way that we're going to be playing next season? Are we going to be losing Yuri Tillemans more than likely? Are we going to be losing James Madison possibly? So if that's the case, can you bring players into those positions and just slot them in? Of course, that's a you know a, a giant yes, you can do. But will that increase 
the ability of the squad or, or the first team. It's going to be difficult to say that because James Madison's one of the best players in the Premier League at the moment. And we know what Yuri Tillemans is. He's absolutely fantastic, arguably the best player at the football club. So to bring in two players to replace them who are as good is going to be very, very difficult and expensive. But to bring in two players who are going to make the team better seems a crazy thing to do. So how is the side going to get better? Can you can they be coached better? I don't think that's the case. Can they can they improve as players? Every player can improve, but you look at the first team squad and away from maybe a Dakar and a Dewsbury Hall, who is actually going to step forward enough to, for this system to actually click into a system where we can get back towards the top of the league? I, I just don't see it happening unless it's through signing new players. The only way I can see it happening is by playing different players in different positions in a different style and a different formation that's the only way that's why I quite you know beat on quite a lot about having two up front it's not that two up front will suit uh, will solve every single problem and will start winning four nil every game but they need to try something new because repeating the same thing over and over again and not getting the same results just seems a little bit stupid to be perfectly honest but we'll, uh, we'll have to wait and see Rob it's the very definition of insanity, isn't it? Doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same results and, and you know not being particularly pleased with it. I'm not necessarily saying that Brendan Rodgers is clinically insane, but you know that, that's the direction we're heading in this afternoon, isn't it? We're not, we're not even mentioning the goalkeeper as well. Well, I don't know. how long have we got? We're, we're approaching an hour now anyway. We've got to, got to start thinking about looking forward and... and wrapping things up a little bit with the goalkeeper then just just to just to touch on more because obviously he had that huge and FPL players will know but he had that really good run didn't he where he wasn't conceding goals almost freakish in the way how we were winning those games we were playing well they were solid whether it was just what Vass did when he came in it it, it seems very bizarre now but um, I'm still firmly firmly in the camp of we need a new goalkeeper and the the news about Dubravka leaving Manchester United and going back to new that looks like it could possibly be an option um i i just think we need a new goalkeeper and i i don't see any form of and this is this sounds a bit bit maybe a bit uh, a bit harsh really but I don't see anything that Danny Ward can do on the pitch that will change my mind. Even if he go, unless he goes fifteen games without conceding a goal, I just, I just don't think he will ever be a Leicester City first choice goalkeeper. In my eyes, I don't think that will be the case. No, I completely agree. That's that's my thoughts exactly. It's exactly what we said at the start of the season. Uh, that little purple patch has not changed our minds because it happened in the same purple patch that 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 happened for the whole team. He's he's he looks fairly competent when the team are doing well. Uh but when when we're under the cosh or you know when when you don't trust either him or the defenders, it makes the rest of the entire team on edge. Like yes, Schmeichel made the odd error. Uh, and yes when he when he was trying to t- trying to pick out a, a pass occasionally it went it would go astray. But we were incredibly fortunate to have such a consistently excellent goalkeeper for so long uh, as our number one. Uh, and not only that, but he was captain material right from the very first day. I know he didn't get club captain until 
um, until Wes Morgan's career started sort of coming to a close. But that that leader, you don't see Danny Ward ever barking instructions other than having a little whinge. You don't ever, you know, Schmeichel when you know, when we were commentating at the ground. If you we we if you listened, you could hear him over twenty odd thousand people. Danny Ward. You don't you don't see him talking. You don't see him pointing very much. You just see him absolutely cacking his pants when somebody knocks the ball back to him. It takes about five or six touches. Everybody takes in a collective breath, and then you think, "Oh, he's just passed it five yards square for Daniel Amati. Here we go. We're in we're in a spot of bother here." Um, somebody goes one on one with him. That if that's Schmeichel, you're going, well, "Yeah, fifty percent of the time I'd back him there," and that's a high percentage. Um, off the top of my head compared to a lot of other goalkeepers in terms of how straightforward one-on-one should be for for Premier League strikers. Danny Ward, what would you expect him to save one-on-one? One in ten max. Um, he doesn't... He, shot stopping's okay. Claiming's okay. His feet are okay. He's not... Uh, he's not a t- For a team that, we, that have got aspirations to establish themselves as a long-term top-half Premier League side, it, it's not him. Is this the window to replace him if the player... If the right goalkeeper is available, yes. Uh, but we could limp over the line till the summer if we needed to because I, I think if we're looking at the window now, we're already on the 8th of January. We've got other positions where I would probably want to prioritise a little bit more. I would want a left-back, a centre-back and a right-winger over over anymore. Who, who, is your, who is your Christmas... What's your Christmas wish then? What's your Christmas wish? Sorry for talking over again, Rob. I've done it a few times. But like, what's your Christmas wish? So like, if you, because we didn't do a Christmas episode, if you, and it's kind of putting it on the spot, if you had the choice of what either player-wise, because I've got a couple of players who are very, very obvious who I'd like them to sign, and maybe one or two to leave or one or two to come in, or what would you ideally like to do in a, in a way that we'd never really say on the podcast you know we like to talk about the team about what they're doing now and just have a general chat and people can you know listen and form their own views but in in, in a style of of you said football manager early but we'll, we'll go with that what would you do so would you sell player x or y and then bring in this player or that player what what would you do i'd sit down with players like Vestergaard, like Perez, that are clearly nowhere near good enough to be playing for Leicester and are not going to make the team any better. And I'd say, lads, stop messing around. We don't particularly want you. You don't want to be here. Take like If it's about money or whatever, don't be ridiculous. You're Premier League footballers. Even if you're on X amount at Leicester and you take a 20 grand a week pay cut, oh, poor you. Just, just get out. Do us all a favour. Um, and, and and let us freshen up the team because neither of them are, are, are young. So and and like Vestergaard was was heavily linked with Fulham and, and by all accounts could and uh, could have got a move, should have got a move. Players like that need to go because what you could then do is you could. I think the club needs to be a little bit more careful in in some aspects in terms of the transfer window. You can't just panic by players like we did Vestergaard and pay him a ridiculous amount of money. He's never, ever been good enough for that for that kind of wage that he's reportedly on. So I, I would 
I'd, and it's hard because I'd, I haven't really got any names in mind, but what I would get is I would get a, a centre-back who is going to drag everybody with them. And... You know, if I'm not saying this player in particular, but a player like Connor Cody, I'm not, I'm not saying um, get a world class centre back in. We're Leicester City. We're 13th in the Premier League. We're only two points above the relegation zone, and we've not got the hugest uh, amount of money. But somebody that actually gives a toss, and somebody that's going to make everybody else give a toss. I, I appreciate Everton's form isn't great at the moment, um, and there's a lot going on at that club. But you look at Cody. And he is constantly geeing everybody up. He is constantly dragging his defenders around. He is he is wanting to make things happen on the pitch. That's where I think Leicester are lacking. I would get a direct right winger um, and I would keep giving them the ball and I would keep saying, run at your fullback, run at your fullback, run at your fullback, get us something. Um, because I don't think we particularly do that enough. Barnes doesn't do it enough on the other side. If, if I had to pick two positions, those would be the ones... The third one would be, if we could sign three players in the transfer window, would be a left back because Justin is a little way off coming back and you never know how many games it's going to take for him to get back up. He's also right-footed, which I do have a bit of an issue with playing on the left-hand side. Um, Luke Thomas, I think he will develop into a player that could stay at Leicester long-term and and be... uh, an option there, but I don't think he is the option. He's uh, Rogers has got no choice; he's had to chuck him in there. The, the fullback injuries uh, have, have proved that. Um, so I would also sign a left back, and if it is somebody like the fella from Copenhagen, who is playing well, who is an international footballer, and who does a solid job there, great. I'm not looking for Leicester to sign world class players right now. I'm looking for Leicester to sign. Um, characters. I've just read something that Ten Hag has said today in Manchester United. He said the club has spent a ridiculous amount of money on some ridiculous players um, that were quite simply not good enough or not mentally good enough to play for Manchester United. I'm not saying there's as much pressure playing for Leicester as Manchester United. There isn't. But we can't just go out and sign these like these players where like I don't see Samari I've never seen him open his mouth on the football pitch Pats and Daka smiles his way through matches you you said yourself earlier Harvey Barnes too nice that I'm thinking about the Newcastle game Bruno Gimaraes right last couple of minutes puts in a sliding block in the middle of the park for it to go out for a throw in double fist like celebration proper buzzed off making that tackle because it made it like and and they were winning 3-0 is it Leicester player didn't put a tackle, didn't lay a glove on a Newcastle player all game. We haven't got those kind of characters. And it, it's, for me, these next the next few signings have got to be personalities. I'm not even that bothered how good they are at football. We have not got a single person on that pitch that is dragging the rest of them up at the moment. Uh, and I think that's, that's a huge miss. Look back at, I know we hark on about winning the title and all that, but you had Morgan and Huth, centre-backs. If you put a toe out of line, the fear that you would have of them, you you wouldn't do it, would you? You had Fuchs, vastly experienced at left-back. Danny Simpson, nowhere near a world-class right-back, but knew his job, did his job, played to his strengths. They played essentially two up top with, with Okazaki supporting Vardy and doing all of the legwork to help him out. Uh, Vardy took all of the plaudits. Okazaki's work in there um, shouldn't have gone unnoticed. You had players everywhere on that pitch that were dragging the rest of them through. Uh, who have we replaced Schmeichel with? Ward. Not a peep from him. 
Johnny Evans is is a quiet leader. He's admitted that himself. Walt Fass has, has come in and, and given a bit of a kick up the backside, but he's you know he's had a couple of little wobbles form wise, mistakes wise, and he can't do it on his own. He's not that experienced anyway. Amate doesn't look like he says a word to me. Um, who's playing right back at the minute? Castagna, nice bloke, works hard, runs a lot. Is he gonna? inspire you to find another 5-10% in a match? No, he's not. Luke Thomas, quiet kid from Syston. You're not getting a peep out of him on the football pitch. Same with Barnes. Tillemans is is probably one of the better leaders, and that's why he's in the kind of leadership captaincy group. And Didi, not saying a lot. He's doing his job. He's breaking up the play. Fine. Samari, I've already mentioned. Madison is another one that we're missing. He He's a leader in terms of the way he plays. He demands the ball. He demands more of people. I've I've named probably three leaders there out of the eleven that are on the pitch, and it is not it is not looking good in the sense that you're two points above the relegation zone, and you can't see even half of your starting lineup being capable of dragging the rest of the team through. That's that's my concern. I would be buying personalities in this transfer window, but I would also be making sure that I didn't do anything stupid like sign a Yannick Vestergaard again. I, I agree. Before I go on mine, um, if the possibility was there and if the ability was there and, and it was all systems go, would you re-sign Harry Maguire? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a complete no-brainer. I, I, I don't think it'll ever happen, but if that was in place and it was a thing, I think it's a complete no-brainer, but um, it would be a yeah. I, I absolutely agree with you and that's kind of where I'm going down my, you know, Again, if I was in charge and I could make this happen, what what would you do in that perfect world? Again, a bit of a throwback to Christmas. What's your Christmas wish? I would go quite radical, as you probably would imagine, and most people listening to this, but yeah, Pete's going to go mad. I would um, preempt the sale of Madison and Tillemans, and I would sell Wilfred and Didi. Um, I think he's he, he's been an excellent player. But I think he's gone off the boil in the last couple of years, probably. And I think a lot of the time he's in the side for his height, which sounds terrible because it's a bit like something you'd do at school. He's crap at football or she's crap at football, but we're going to play them because they're the only tall person we've got. So at least there's someone on a corner who might look like they might get their head on the ball, even if they're afraid to head the ball. And... I would do that. I think we need a change in that area of the park. Um, I complete. I'm going to go down the same route. We need leaders in the side. We need personality. Um, but I think we need to completely change the system, and I think we need to completely change the personnel in this side. You keep the star players, obviously. Tielemans is going to go, and I, I agree. When you were going through those leaders, I was waiting for you to say Tielemans because he is a leader. And he does inspire the players. And I think it's going to be a sad, sad day when he leaves the football club. What you know? What a great player. And I think he's having a very, very good season as well. But I agree with you with the centre-halves. I just look at that, though, and look at Vestergaard and go, surely in this side, the way we're playing, you can get him in that team, in a three or maybe alongside a Vass. I think Volt Vass coming into this side has shown up an awful lot about what Leicester have bought and the current players in the side. I think when he's come in, he's been vocal, he's been active, and he's shown players up for being 
not as good as him in a very loose term, but also the way he cares. How can a guy come into a club and seem like he cares more than other players? I don't get that. It's full credit to Voltvast, and he's been an excellent signing. Um, yes, a couple of nightmares against Liverpool, and I I would be more critical about that than a lot of people. I think a lot of people have given him a bit of an easy time, and fine, because he's been a very good player, and he's hardly put a foot wrong at all, but those were two really bad mistakes, really, really bad. They were, but I think he gets away with it a little bit. You're, like, you're a little bit softer on him because of his attitude. You're absolutely right. The fans fell in love with him straight away because he defended on the front foot, put some tackles in, and just G'd everybody up. And like you say, he looks like, or outwardly, he looks like he cares more than anyone else. Absolutely. And... I, for one, cannot fathom why he has not played alongside Soyuncu. I have no idea why that hasn't happened. Johnny Evans was the best thing that ever happened to Kaglar Soyuncu at Leicester. They, they were unbelievable together. Unfortunately, Johnny Evans, I might be just getting ahead of myself here, but, you know, what the hell. I think he's probably gone as a footballer. I think he's probably gone. He was awful at the start of the season. He looked completely way off it. And with the injuries mounting up and his age, he, he just looks a bit broken, to be perfectly honest. He's played football all his career. You know, he's he's played for Man United and he's played, a, what, I think it's about 10,000 times for Northern Ireland. He's played a lot of football. He's about, what, 34, 35? He just looks like he's just hit that point where he's gone as a, as a top-flight player. Hopefully it's not the case. But you look at what Voltvas has done for Omarty and gone, and again from the outside, and, and we can only say what we see. Surely Soyuncu alongside Vas makes sense because Vas came into this sign. You thought apparently he was the hothead, he was going to be a Soyuncu essentially. Turns out completely not the case, and I could see those two being a really strong partnership, really strong. And imagine having those two behind you in midfield. Amazing. You're in midfield. You look back in those two who have just clattered into a few players and put some good... You think, yes, here we go. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the sale of Ndidi, I, I, I'm just thinking pure monetary terms. I think it's a position in the side that we can improve. Wilfred Ndidi on top form is amazing. But where has that top form been for the last couple of years? Don't know. I've not seen it. I think, again, he might get a bit of an easy ride by the fans because of what he's done in the past. I I, I think it might be time to maybe move on Ndidi and get the money that we possibly would have got a year or two ago, I think, cash in now. Um, of course, this is, a, this, this is a Christmas list, so I can do anything on it. Um, I would buy the, um, the two Moroccans. I think if if we get in for this midfielder, great, get him. And I would sign the defensive midfielder as well, Sofran uh, Amrabat. He plays currently for Fiorentina. He might cost a few quid. 26 years old. He looks a very strong... First of all, he lasted 90 minutes plus for Morocco doing everything. I was amazed how he was still on the field of play. No idea. He was almost like Drinkwater was in the league winning season. Just everywhere and came off the field just dripping every game just ridiculous and he would be ideal 26 years old and I was thoroughly impressed with him at the World Cup I would have him as arguably the player of the tournament I thought he was that good um he would be a brilliant signing defensive midfielder get him in there looks a real character as well hard 
It looked like he can play a bit of football as well, didn't he? That that that's probably the thing that that makes him different. Oh, absolutely, like Ndidi and and Mendy, for example. Absolutely, surprisingly so. Um, I I came to the Moroccan party late uh, in the in the World Cup. I got the two two of their games um, in the World Cup uh, quarterfinals and, and semi-finals. They were the first two. I was amazed of how good a footballer he was, pinging the ball around all over the place, finding his man with every pass. Just surprisingly so. Um, but but there you go. So an ideal signing, and I know talking about signings on podcasts is a bit strange because we've got no no idea. But someone like him, and then you have the flighty floaty midfielder in front of him. I, I think that would be a perfect partnership. And it, we've had plenty of Belgian players signing those two Moroccan players. And on the back of a World Cup is always dangerous. You go back over World Cups over recent years and um, you sign a couple of the star players and you can fall flat on your face. But, you know, that's that, that's my view. Um, and then the rest of the side would be what we've discussed already. I would play Kelechi and Nacho. I, I would play him. Would you play him with Dakar up top? Yeah, you would. Would you play him with Vardy up top? Yeah, of course you would. Um, I love Harvey Barnes, but I'll drop him. You have to drop him. A great player to come off the bench. But I'm looking at those two players with James Madison in behind, a Jewsbury Hall floating around as well. You can have Tielemans in the side. I think Tielemans will probably go. And then you've got your defensive midfielder as well. I I just, I look at the side and you go, you've got to try something. Um, Soyuncu, if he's going to stay, stay. And guess what? He's going to play. He played against Gillingham. So he's fit. He can actually walk onto a field of play and kick and head a ball. We've seen it with our own eyes the other day, yesterday. So he's actually not fat and unfit because he played. So play him from the start. He starts alongside Volt Vass in defence, those two. If you want to play three at the back, great. Guess who comes in? Daniel Amati? No. Vestergaard. Stick him in the middle. Look after him. You've got two odd cases either side, Vass and Soyuncu. Vestergaard in the centre. You need to start using these players. You cannot have a squad of 25 players and not choose five of them because you've either fell out with them or you just think they're not good enough. You can't do that at a Premier League level. If that's the case and you're not going to use them, do what you did. Get rid. And if that means getting a loss, doesn't matter. Get rid. Get rid of Perez. Get rid of Vestergaard. Get rid of these players. If you're not going to use them, get rid so that's what I would do but I would certainly certainly play Soyuncu alongside um, Volt Vass I can't see any reason for that goalkeeper buy one now I, I, I you could wait till the end of the season I wouldn't there's goalkeepers out there all around Europe we saw in the World Cup goalkeepers for countries who are playing at clubs who are a lot of clubs of course will qualify for Europe because of the standard of their league Um but there's a lot of goalkeepers out there between the ages of 25 and 30 who have had very good international careers and have got a lot of experience and play for decent sides around Europe. But I'm talking decent sides in slightly poorer leagues than you would expect. I'm not talking Serie A or La Liga or obviously the Premier League. I'm talking over in Belgium or maybe further than that, out wide, further in Eastern Europe. Those are the sort of players that we can bring in and play in goal. There's there's plenty out there. They need to change the goalkeeper. It's quite simple as that. Change the goalkeeper and go from there. Um, 
hopefully that's the case. And that's the end of my Christmas list. A little bit uh, too late, but there we go. I don't know if Santa's listening. Let's call it a more of a New Year's resolution, shall we? Hmm. That's better. Um, so we've not really mentioned the games that we've actually played, Rob, but we'll look forward now because, again, the time is ticking. But, hey, it's the first podcast we've done for a while, so if it rolls on a bit longer, then uh, who cares? The next game, as I bring up the fixtures, um, we've got Newcastle then uh, in the League Cup. I mean, obviously they turned us over, but um, Newcastle in the Cup competition, they failed against Sheffield Wednesday in, in the FA Cup. They can fail against us in the League Cup. What a fillet that would be for the club to get through to the semi-finals. After that, in the Premier League, small game away at Nottingham Forest. Crikey or Ali. I mean, it, and then Brighton at home, Villa away. Before we have a real tough run of games. Spurs, Man United and Arsenal. So we need points from Forest away, Brighton at home and Villa away. We can't lose three games on those three. If we lose those three... That takes us into um, February as well. There will be serious, serious problems. I'm not too sure um, what happens with the uh, the FA Cup, which is being drawn at the moment. So if if I request the TV to be turned on, possibly to BBC One, the FA Cup draws. We can have a live FA Cup draw on the uh, on the show. That might take us on there. But what I'm thinking is is in terms of signings and in terms of maybe even the manager moving on. Forest away is going to be the big game, really. Do Leicester need to win at Forest, Rob? Do they do they need to win to pull away from that area? Or if they lose... Okay, if they lose at Forest, do you think Leicester are slap-bang in a relegation fight again? Because even though that turn-up in form was um, remarkable and, and got us out of bother, losing four and a bounce would just put us straight back in there. And also, do you think if we lose to Forest, there would be possible changes at the top? I think that anybody who is not aware of the fact that right at this moment in time we're in a relegation battle is a little bit deluded. Anybody that thinks that Leicester are too good to go down is kidding themselves. We've lost the second highest amount of games in the Premier League with two points above the relegation zone. Every game at the moment is absolutely massive, especially off the back of losing three in a row um, post-World Cup. Uh, that I think that makes Newcastle on Tuesday uh, in, in an even more important game. It's a quarter-final of the League Cup. Uh, you wouldn't put it there as, as, the, as the biggest of games, really. But we got turned over by Newcastle a couple of weeks ago. We could do with some good positive feeling around uh, around the club. And, and getting through to the semi-final, one step closer to winning a, a trophy or a, like a, or a big final at least, um, the, the feeling that you would get from that and the, and the boost that the players and the fans would get is important. Uh, Ian Acho said in his post-match interview with uh, after the Gillingham game that, that the Newcastle game, he's looking at it as a bit of revenge. I like that attitude. Um, managers would never say it because they're too sort of calculated about what they say and what they don't say. They'd say, oh, it's just another game, you know, we can't think about the other one. Ian Atcher was like, yeah, yeah, it's revenge. So if it's in his head and he's one of the nice guys at the football club, it must be in the other players' heads to say, look, we can't get pasted 3-0 again. This is a cup quarter final. So I think we need a reaction and I think we'll see one on Tuesday. Whether that will be in terms of the result as well, I don't know. But if you don't win on Tuesday against Newcastle, then you go into Forest in a real slump and they're decent at home. 
They have put together a couple of better results than us recently. Um, they are in direct competition with us for league position at the moment. It's a massive, massive game. And if if we don't get through the, the, the quarterfinals of the League Cup and then we lose to Forest, there's going to be that, that, that kind of tension and that negativity that I've said that a lot of people have reported from the grounds and that. Um, that's only going to increase more. It's going to increase in the players, the tension, the, the the sort of feeling that they're going to make a mistake or they're going to lose a game. It's just going to get worse and worse. And then we're back in the same position where we were a couple of months ago where you and I sit here and say, we don't see a way that Brendan Rodgers and the coaching staff can get the team turned around. They did it for a mini run of form, but it's going to be harder to do it again, isn't it? I, I think both of them are, are, are virtually must-win games. Well, the draw's taking place. First of all, Emil Heskey's doing the draw. Um, I think that's Karen Barsley alongside him. We haven't been drawn yet. Number 21 is Leicester. Um, I thought we were going to get Wrexham. That would have been a hell of a tie. Um, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you with the with the Forest game. I'm, I'm instantly worried about it. Uh, I know we turned them over at home. Man United at home. We don't want them. Oh, 31 he's drawn out. Ooh, Emil, stop doing this. Um, he's doing the away side as well, so we really have any. Yeah, I, I agree with you when it comes to the the, the Forest game. I, I I just I worry. I worry. You know, after the winning, I don't think the FA Cup win changes anything, um, unless we get a really nice draw. And if we lose against Forest, I can then see the fans going back to what they were. You know, after that really, really poor run of games. And, uh, oh, Derby away, possibly. Come on, that'd be a great tie. Come on, Esky. We wanted one thing from you. Um, Yeah, I'm really worried. Really worried about it. Um, A win would change everything. But then again, that's what happens in football, doesn't it? Especially at that end of the, the league. I just, I want, in a very strange way, I'd want the activity to be away from the, away from the, the pitch, you know what I mean. I want the activity in the transfer window. Changes made there, and then hopefully that would change things on the field of play as well. But we'll have to wait and see. Rob, prediction for the game? Did you give a prediction? I didn't. Uh, I'm going to go endlessly, eternally optimistic, as we always are on the podcast. I'm going Leicester to beat Newcastle two one, and follow that up with a one nil win away at Forest. Right. Well, I'm going to go one nil New uh, up at Newcastle, one nil Leicester. And tell you what, a couple of one nils. We're going to go back on the uh, clean sheet train, even though I've slated the goalkeeper. And the defence, we're away at Warsaw. Warsaw away in the fourth round. I don't think you could ask for much. I mean, I'm not saying Warsaw is going to be easy, but you can't ask for much better than that, really, in the fourth round of the cup. Warsaw away. Breaking news, Rob. Well, that's slightly more winnable than Arsenal, United, and Spurs, isn't it? Exactly. It, that's a great draw. That has to be a great draw. At the, uh, where is it, Bescott? The, I think that's what it, it used to be called. I don't know if it's still called that. <laughs> We're going back a few we years there, aren't we? still Street, don't we? <laughs> we are. So I'm, I'm going 1-0 one, one away at Newcastle. Tough tie. It's going to be a really tough tie. But hey, it's the quarterfinals of a cup competition. Go there, play the first team, get the win, and then roll on to Forest after winning two cup games and hopefully, hopefully winning there. Final question, Rob. A win at Newcastle and a loss at Forest in the league. If I offer you that right now, would you take it? No. 
I'd do it the other way around. Oh! 100%. We need the three points more than anything. Look at the state we're in in the league. Come on. It's a tough question. I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to take... I'd take that. I'd take winning in the cup and then losing at Forest still with the ability to turn it around in the league. Of course, once you're out the cup, you're out the cup, aren't you? So I'm I'm going down that train. So, uh, well... What do you think? Get in contact with the podcast. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at FFS Pod. You can follow us on Facebook. Just type in for Fox 8 Podcast. You can find us on Facebook. And uh, if you are listening to this uh, on Apple Podcasts, then give us a rating on there. Give us a rating of whatever you like, but five stars is pretty nice. It does help the podcast. That's not just us being egotistical. Um, it, just make sure you do give us a rating. It really does help the podcast as well. Uh, and also, if you do like the podcast, then spread the word. Send us a message. Leave a comment. Uh, what do you want from the podcast? Ask us any questions. We can read them out. If you don't want it read out, then just put it on there and, and, and speak anonymously. That's absolutely fine. Um, we are back with the podcast, and we're going to be here for the coming weeks until the end of the season, and then we'll have our big season review, etc. Hopefully, the form can be turned around, but after the big delay, of course, me buggering off to the World Cup and then Christmas, etc., we are back, and we're back soon, won't we, Rob? We won't leave it for... Six or seven weeks. The longest time we've left this, including over the summer as well. We've had many summers where we've had one or two podcasts in the middle and we've not had uh, a big pause for a huge amount of time. It's quite strange to do one from the beginning of November until the beginning of January. It's uh, it's slightly strange. I don't like it. We should be talking more often. We should. So let's do it again soon. We will. We will. Don't fear everyone. The podcast is here. Um, and that's it for the podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. And we'll be back shortly, hopefully, on the back of a couple of wins, away in the cup and away against them lot down to road. But that's it from the podcast. See you later. Mm-hmm.